0: I think if last year taught us anything, it should have taught us that life can be very complicated, that, that life can be unpredictable and it is ever changing, that just when you think you have it all figured out, somehow life happens and it throws you this curveball that you had no way of knowing was coming. And then and, and when you find yourself in that situation, you're, you're trying to wrestle with what to do now. And if 2020 should have taught us anything, it should have taught us that life happens. And when life happens, most of the time it doesn't give us a heads up. It doesn't give us an idea of, hey, something drastic is about to rock your world and your understanding of the world for a really long time. It doesn't give us these kind of emails or alerts, things like that. Uh, and so that's part of the reason I'm really excited about this series that we're starting today as a church. And uh, this uh, this idea of going through the book of Proverbs and finding this practical wisdom for life's everyday issues and I've said it before and I'll say it again that I honestly think that if there's one need that our world has, one need that our nation has, one need that our church has, one need that we as individuals have, the, the probably one of the greatest things we need is biblical wisdom. Biblical godly wisdom is the greatest thing that I think we need and and not just wisdom get us through everyday life. But wisdom that can really stand the test of time, even in these unprecedented, unpredictable, chaotic times when life throws you that curveball. And we need wisdom to know how to navigate those kind of things. And so I'm excited about this series, and I honestly feel like that as we work through this book and the book of Proverbs, it's going to take us a long time to do it. Um, And I know many of you are participating with us in the Proverbs Challenge. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, as we work through this book, I have this feeling that if we will follow the wisdom of this book then 2021 will be a much better year than 2020 was. Maybe not just for you as an individual, but I would say that if we as a church or we as a nation and we as a world would follow the wisdom of of Proverbs, that we'll find that 2021 will be the greatest year that we've ever had. Not just because I think that, that I'm optimistic, and I usually am. I'm always looking forward to the next year. But I really think that if we will do this, if we'll follow this wisdom and not despise it, which is what we'll look at the end of the text today, then we're going to find some great things happening in our lives. We're going to find that we know how to navigate these unexpected curveballs that life throws at us. So if we're going to start with this idea of building hope, if we're going to have any hope of building this life of practical wisdom, then we got to start somewhere. And the best place to start is with this solid foundation, these foundational questions. And so today, we're going to look at the foundations of biblical wisdom, and we're only going to make it through the first seven chapters of Proverbs. And honestly, we could make it through the first three uh, or four and probably be sufficient. But we're going to make it through the first seven, and we're going to ask some of these very foundational questions, like what is biblical wisdom? Where does it come from, and who actually needs this biblical godly wisdom? And now that we've kind of, did, and those sound like simple questions and uh, easy questions to answer, but if we're going to build our life on this, then we've got to start there. We've got to build this foundation, and it's got to be solid. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the very beginning of the book of Proverbs, chapter 1 verse 1, and that's where we'll start. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you kind of the outline of where I think we're going with this, is that typically when I preach through a book, I start at the very beginning, and I go verse by verse all the way through the end of it, okay? Now, Proverbs isn't like any other book, right? right? I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. Sections of it work really great. So, for the first probably nine chapters or so, um, that's what we're going to do. We're going to start at the beginning. We're going to work our way through those, not necessarily verse by verse, but kind of chapter by chapter, and then, once we get into kind of the middle sections, we're going to do it more topically. So, like, we'll spend some time talking about the Proverbs that deal with money and the Proverbs that deal with marriage. And, and, and we'll do it by topic, because when you get to the middle section of Proverbs, you guys that are reading through the book, you'll figure this out. When you get to that middle section, man, it's just like a, these whole bunch of sayings that really aren't connected to the one above them or the one below them. And you just have to connect them some way. So we're going to do it kind of topically in that middle section. But we're going to do some great things. We're going to have some great study going on. And, and we're going to gain some... Uh, biblical wisdom as we go through this book. So I want to go ahead and start us off in chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 7. Verse 1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning what wisdom and discipline are, for understanding insightful sayings, for receiving wise instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity, for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, knowledge and discretion to a young man. A wise man will listen and increase his learning, and a discerning man will obtain guidance for understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. Verse 7 is probably the key verse of the whole book of Proverbs. It simply says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much For who you are. I thank you that you have opened our eyes uh, through this book. And you're going to continue to open our eyes through what you have already given us. And so God, I pray this morning that you do exactly that. I pray that we are here to present ourselves either in person or in spirit as a sanctuary, God. For you to come in and for you to fill up. So God, that you can open our eyes and we can be ready to receive what you have for us in this book of wisdom God, I'm praying for this series. I'm praying for this text today and throughout this whole book. God, I'm praying, God, this isn't just academic. This isn't just intellectual, God. That this isn't just something, yeah, we did that. We, we read that book. And God, I'm praying that this is something that changes our life. God, that we will pattern our lives and our behaviors through what you have told us in this book so that we will follow the wisdom that you have given us. God, I'm praying this morning that we as individuals and that we as a church... God, we will find the beginning of wisdom and we will chase it for the rest of our lives. God, we will never be considered the fools that despise you or despise your wisdom or despise your discipline. But God, I realize, like all of us, God, that that choice is ours. It is ours as individuals, it is ours as a church, it is ours as a nation, it is ours as a world. And so, God, I'm praying this morning, God, that we will choose wisdom. God, I'm praying this morning that we will choose the words that you have given to to be a guide for us, to be a light for us, to be the direction that we take. God, I'm praying that we will find this practical wisdom that we can apply to our everyday life. God, that we can find this practical wisdom that we can apply when the world falls apart. We can stand on this solid wisdom that you have given us. And so, God, I pray this morning that we will start with the very basics. We'll start with this foundation of what this is and what it looks like and what we should be striving for. And so, God, I pray that even now, in this moment, you are speaking to us. God, that you are giving words to us to hear your truths. God, that we will leave here changed, knowing that we have started a work in us. God, that it will direct our path from this moment on, because we have chosen to fear and respect you above all else. Father, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. When I got out of college, I started what most college graduates do. I started looking for a job. And so um, my goal was to be a science teacher. That's really what I wanted to do and what I thought God has, was directing me to do. And so I started what everybody does. I started filling out the applications, and I started getting some phone calls, and doing some phone interviews, and the phone interviews sometimes landed to um, in-person interviews. And there was one principal that I interviewed with, um, and, and it's uh, the principal that eventually hired me, um, but I will never forget this interview uh, as long as I live, because it was one of those, it was just almost scary, uh, because you realize what was riding on it, and so uh, this interview started like every other interview, he he invites you in, you go and sit down in his office, and he's on one side of the desk, and you're on the other, and he's just going over some things, and asking you questions, and what do you think about this, or how would you do this, And, and so then we sat in his office for a little while, and he looks up at the clock, and he realizes what time it is, and he said, well, I've got to go do lunch duty now. And so if you'd like to, you're more than welcome to walk with me um, and, and stand, and you can see a little more of the school, and you can stand in the cafeteria, and we can continue this conversation if you'd like to. Now, I'm no idiot, okay? I know that when you're in a job interview and somebody invites you to lunch, you go to lunch with them, okay? Even if it's to go do lunch duty, I know that you do that. So we did. We went and we stood in the cafeteria and we stood there and we were watching um, all these students get their lunch and eat their lunch. And, and so I got to do lunch duty even before I was officially hired there to do lunch duty and I had to do it lots of times after that. But it was kind of fun because like he would say, hey, look at those kids over there, what should you do about that? And so I'd have to go over there and talk to them. They just kind of looked at me like, who are you and where did you come from? We don't even know you. And so um, I, I did that. And then as, as we stood there and as we were talking to each other, he was telling me um, some things that were going on in the system, in the county system, and things that are going on in the school, and um, asking him questions about that. It was, and this was the great part of the interview. And then he said, well, there is kind of one kind of controversial thing that's going on in our system right now. And I was like, oh, we're going to get the good stuff here. Like this is, this is I'm going to get the dirt going on right here. And so then I said, well, what, what are you talking about? And he said, well, this year, our county has missed so many days of school, either because of snow or floods or wind or for some other reason. We've had to cancel school so much more this year than we have in years past. And so the the Board of Education and the county office, they are trying to figure out how to make up all these missed days of school. And so when I was a kid, the way you made up missed days is you had to go on, like, into the summer or you missed spring break or... or um, we even had this crazy thing called Saturday school a couple times where you had to go like for a few hours on Saturday. and So that's what we had to do. But for this county had missed so many days, they, they were trying to figure out how to make up all these days. And so instead of applying for a waiver and saying, hey, state, can we have a couple days excused? Or adding days to the calendar, they came up with a different solution. And their solution was that they were going to divide up the time that was missed into 15-minute increments, and they were going to add that to the end of each day. Okay, so your each day of school was going to be extended by fifteen minutes, so instead of getting out at three o'clock, you were now going to get out at three fifteen, and so you're going to make up days' worth of instruction in fifteen minute increments. and this is what he explained to me. and so then this is the part of the interview that I won't forget because this is the part where he looked at me, and by the way, this this principal was very tall, um, and he looked down at me and he explains this situation to me, and then he answer, he gives me this question, he says. What do you think about that idea? Now, he'd already told me this was controversial, but he didn't tell me which side he was on. Okay, So here I am wanting a job, and I'm smart enough to know, go to lunch with the man, but I'm not smart enough to figure out at this point, like... I was supposed to read something into this question that I didn't pick up on, okay? Because I I don't know, and and I realized that at this way, the moment this this question, my answer to this question could determine if I'm going to get this job or not. And so he's sitting there looking down at me, and I looked at him, and I was like, well, um, I'm going to be honest with you, sir. I don't know that that is the wisest way to make up a school day. I, I don't know that that's the best option because I think it would be really hard for me as a teacher and for kids to kind of take a whole day's worth of instruction and section it out in these 15-minute increments. And, and I, I think there may be a better option that maybe somebody should have looked at, and maybe that was the only one. And that, but I don't know that that was the best option. And then I held my breath. Because I didn't know if that was the right answer. And then all of a sudden, he kind of smiled just a little bit at me. And and I realized that I'd given him the right answer. And he said, yeah, that's what I think too. Especially since the fact that these kids have four classes a day. Which means if you take that 15 minutes and you divide it by four classes, that means that each of them now gets an extra about three and a half minutes per class period to make up for a whole day's instructions. And he said, I know That after teaching for 90 minutes, that extra three and a half minutes per day is really going to make a world of difference to these kids and these teachers. And I was like, I like this guy. And then he looked at me, and this is the part, I'll I'll never forget about this part. He says, or I looked at him and I said, yeah, I just, I just, it sounds like one of those ideas that sounded really good on paper, but just doesn't make practical sense. And then he looks at me, and this is the, the phrase that I'll never forget. He looked at me and he says, you know, the only thing common about common sense, it's not very common anymore. And in fact, I have discovered that the higher your degree is and the more authority you have, the less common it really is. Now, this is a guy who worked for the system and and this was a guy that that this was his job. And so I I, I always remember that because I've looked at it and I've, I've realized that our society tends to gravitate or exalt certain types of wisdom. You see, if you're in the school setting then we really gravitate towards academic and intellectual knowledge. That's what we promote. That's what we want you to do. And so your degree of wisdom, your degree of knowledge, really depends on how many plaques you have on the wall, how many degrees you hang up on the wall. And so we really exalt that. We lift that up above anything else. That's what we emulate. That's what we think wisdom is if you're in that setting. And so we really kind of stress that. And we we really exalt somebody for having all those degrees degrees and we tend to stop with that you know we we they have all these degrees you walk into a room and this man has all these degrees on the wall and you never think of like he's never really come up with a practical solution for anything he's just went to school for a really long time he's never really um, had any moral or ethical decisions that have been kind of important and we all that matters is these degrees that hang on a wall and for some people, we take a different approach. For some people, it's not academic knowledge. It's, it's skillful knowledge or what you can do with your hands. Or if somebody can offer you a quick solution to a problem, that's who we gravitate towards. That's who we, we find wisdom. We say, oh man, that guy is so smart. But sometimes we, we'd run to those people, r- regardless of the fact that, man, they are really ethically wrong, that their solution that they gave you was morally wrong, that the solution they gave you, yeah, fix something in the short term, but man, it hurts you in the long run. All right? But we listen to them because, in the moment in that crisis, man, that was it. And regardless of, of the fact their solution was unethical or it has some kind of hidden agenda behind it, you see, this is the difference between wisdom in the world's view or society's view and biblical wisdom. You see, biblical wisdom is so much broader than the, the categories that we put it in, it's so much broader than the values that we kind of section off in our society. And so, if we're going to ask this question, if we're going to start with this foundation, we got to know, first off, what is biblical wisdom? What is the purpose of this book? If we're going to spend all this time going through this, what are we looking to get out of this book? And what we find is that as we work through this book of Proverbs, we're going to find that biblical wisdom is really, really broad. It is very inclusive that it includes so many things that are often left out this idea of biblical wisdom it, it, it adds so much to this concept of wisdom that is made up of all these different parts and many parts that people just say no that's not, you don't really need that that's not really that important just forget about that part but when we kind of look at biblical wisdom we see all these different parts of it and we see all of them have to fit together in order for wisdom to be true in order for wisdom to, to have its full effect. And so, as we look in this, when we find out that Solomon writes this book, he starts with his introduction, this broad biblical definition of biblical wisdom. And so, to be honest with you, it tells you in chapter 1, verse 1, that these are the sayings of the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, spoiler alert, he didn't write all of the book, okay? There's parts of this book that he didn't write, there's other parts that he wrote, but somebody else collected for him, And, and so we'll get to all that stuff later, but he does write this introduction, and in this introduction, he gives us these foundations. This is the definition this is what biblical wisdom is, and it includes these different parts. Now, if you remember when we were reading through those first few verses, you kept hearing one word over and over and over, which is a key sign that you need to pay attention to it, right? And the word was for, not F-O-U-R, but just F-O-R, right? This is the reason he is writing, okay? So if you, if we'll just real quick go back over him, He says that I'm writing this for learning, for understanding for receiving, and for teaching. This is why Psalm is writing this book. And so all of those, in kind of our English mindset, this are all really the same thing, right? That, that he's just giving us wisdom. And so in our English perspective, what he's doing is he's just repeating himself over and over and over. But he's not. Okay, Because just like those are different English words, they're also different Hebrew words. And each one of those different Hebrew words really carries with it a different nuance, a different understanding of what wisdom is and a different part of wisdom. And so we're going to kind of work through this. And the very first thing we find out about biblical wisdom is that it has to be practical. There has to be some purpose and some application to what we're supposed to be learning. Right? And we see that in the very first line of verse 2. Solomon writes this. He says, "...for learning..." what wisdom and discipline are. And he uses this great word, um, this Hebrew word for wisdom. And it's called, the Hebrew word is hokman, okay? And, and I kind of think of like Hulk being the incredible Hulk, and then man. Just put those two together and that's what you got. You got hokman, okay? And so he, he uses this word. In fact, he it's one of his favorite words. He uses it 41 times in the book of Proverbs. Now there's only 31 chapters, but he uses this word 41 times. And it carries with it this idea of common sense. It carries with this idea of being able to with a situation in daily life and th- these daily problems. And it really carries with this idea of being skilled in something or having some kind of skill set. Okay? Okay. So, we know that because this word is used other times in the Bible. In fact, one of the first times it's used is in the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, God has given Moses all these instructions on how to build the tabernacle and the dimensions of it, and here's what this needs to look like, and here's what that needs to look like. And Moses is not the man that's going to do that. He's not building any of it. But what God tells him, he says, listen, I've equipped other people to do this. I've selected other people to do this. And he uses this word to tell them that, that this, they have the skills to do this. In fact, if you look at Exodus chapter 31 and verse 6, he tells you, hey, I, uh, chapter 31, he starts with, hey, I picked this guy. And then the first part of verse 6, hey, I picked this other guy. But then in the last part, these guys are going to oversee this. And I want you to see this in verse 6 of chapter 31. He says, I have placed wisdom... That's the word, okay? I have placed wisdom in every skilled craftsman, okay? Now, that phrase, skilled craftsman, in the Hebrew is chokman Leb. It literally means the wise of heart. So I have placed wisdom in the heart of those who are skilled, or in the heart of those who are wise, in order to make all the things that I have commanded. You see, there's this skill set that God has given them to do what God has told them to do. They have this ability to work with their hands. They have this ability to craft metal, to craft wood, to, to, to sew. They have this ability to do all the things that God has commanded. They are skilled craftsmen. They are wise at heart. So biblical wisdom has to be practical. It has to be something that has common sense. It has to be something that we have the ability to use and something we have the ability to do. What he's really getting at is if you read the whole book of Proverbs and you don't do something with it, then you didn't gain any biblical wisdom. That you need to do something with what you're learning. I'm going to say that's not just true of the book of Proverbs. I'm going to say that's true of all of God's Word and all of God's Scripture to us. That if it doesn't compel you to do something, then you really didn't get what you were supposed to get out of it. Now, as you read through the book of Proverbs, some of you are going to read some things, especially when you get to the the middle section of it, you're like, dude, that's just kind of common sense. Like, doesn't everybody know that? And then I need to remind you of what that principle said. The only thing common about common sense is that it's not very common. You see, what may be common for you may not be common for everybody else. Okay? Let me give you this idea. If you grew up on a dairy farm, then milking a cow is common sense. Okay? You know, you squeeze the udders and milk comes out. Okay? That's common. Everybody knows that who grew up on a dairy farm. But if you grew up downtown Charlotte and you've never even seen a cow then the very last thought of your mind is that you're going to walk up to this thing and squeeze its udder, and you're going to drink what comes out of it. That's not common. That's crazy. Okay, But for somebody who grew up on a dairy farm, that's common. And so realize that as you read through this, you're going to say, well, yeah, everybody knows that. No, they don't. Just because you've had an experience in your life that God has given you wisdom for already doesn't mean that everybody else has walked that same path. And so there's going to be times that we read through something in the book and you're like, dude, everybody knows that. That's just common sense. Realize that no. If it was so common, he wouldn't have to write it in the book. But it's there because he wants you to realize that, that there's practical common sense. There is stuff in this book that is going to affect the way you live your life. And so he's teaching us skills. He's teaching us common sense. And biblical wisdom always has to be practical. And then it has to do with our life and how we do life in this world that we live in. But see, for some of us, We think we're good to go because we have all the biblical wisdom. We have all this common sense stuff down part. And we're tempted to really negate the second part of biblical wisdom. You see, the first part is that it's practical. The second part is that it's intellectual. Okay? It is really mind-engaging. It's kind of academic in its pursuits. You see the second four that we find in verse two. He goes back to the first verse and, or the first part of the verse. He says, "For learning what wisdom and discipline are, for understanding insightful sayings." And in the Hebrew Solomon uses this play on words that kind of gets lost in translation. What he literally says is that you're understanding sayings of understanding, or that you can know and comprehend sayings of knowledge and wisdom. Okay, so he uses kind of the play on words there that we don't really get. And so understand that when we get to biblical wisdom, what he's saying is there are people that came before you that said some really smart stuff. And you need to pay attention to that. Okay, that we need to engage in a study of history because there's wisdom within the history that God has brought us through. Okay, there's wisdom in all the generations that come before us. I don't know if you've seen it online, but I read just the other day on Facebook. Of, think about someone who was born in 1900. And oddly enough, my grandfather was born January 1st of 1900. Okay? So, as I was re- that's what sparked my curiosity. As I was reading this, it started going through all these things that have happened to somebody who was born in 1900. Right? By the time they were 11 or 12, the world was in World War I. By the time they were 18 and 19, there was this global pandemic that was stretching the globe and killing millions of people. By the time they were in their 40s, they'd already been plunged in, or in the 30s. They saw Nazism come to its extreme. And In the 40s, they were battling in World War II. And then they come back and there's all this great stuff going on. And then there's the crash of the stock market before all that. And, and so all of these things that we think the, the generations before us never understood, guess what? They've lived through it. Guess what? There's wisdom that they brought. And how foolish are we to think that they don't have lessons to teach us? And so we need to study history, one, because there's lessons in history that we should have learned a long time ago that we didn't learn, so we need to go back and pick those things up. We need to go back and say, hey, listen, this was a good idea then, it's probably still a good idea now. Or this was a terrible idea then, probably still a terrible idea now. We have wasted so much wisdom by writing off the generations before us, by writing off the knowledge and insightful sayings that people said beforehand. Don't write them off. You see, that's the reason we engage academically in the study of history. It's also the reason we engage academically in the study of science. And this is kind of a key one for me. I want you to think about for a moment. There's been great discoveries that we would be foolish to turn a blind eye to. How foolish would it be if every generation had to start over? Think about that for a moment. What if every generation was born in the dark and you had to discover light and electricity within your generation? And then when the next generation came, they had to start all over with trying it all again. That would be foolish. What if every generation turned its eye on, on uh, uh, antibiotics or all the medicine that we have? Think of how, how crazy that. What if every generation literally had to reinvent the wheel? That would be foolishness. Okay, that's not wisdom to to write off what other people have discovered and write off what wise men and the knowledge that's there. And so part of biblical wisdom is that we're encouraged to engage our mind. And we forfeit so much knowledge, honestly, when we get out of high school, when we get out of college, and we stop our academic and intellectual pursuits, that we stop engaging our mind in what is going on in the world around us. You see, there are things that, that I read now that I could have read in high school that didn't really mean anything to me in high school, but if I read them now in light of the world that we're living in now or in the age that I'm at now, suddenly they're, they're brilliant. It's so brilliant what they said in the 1900s. Maybe we should go back and listen to them. We forfeit so much knowledge if we don't go to the the wisdom that other people have said because biblical wisdom encourages us to engage our mind and expand our intellect to understand these wise sayings of the past. And so we've got to understand them. That's part of what biblical wisdom is because biblical wisdom understands that you are shaped by the past. And those wise sayings not only shape your present, but they're going to shape your future as well. So biblical wisdom is practical, it's intellectual, but it's also moral. And this is probably the one that that we need to build the most on because this is the one that society really turns its blind eye to the most. Right? We will exalt anybody who has a degree, we'll exalt anybody that, that has a, a skill set and think about it for a moment. We will divorce morality from all these other aspects of wisdom really quick. And if you don't believe me, then think about how many millions of dollars you will pay, not you, maybe not, uh, but someone will pay a professional athlete millions of dollars because they are skilled in throwing a ball right that's a skill that's a practical skill that's biblical wisdom right? and yet they're completely morally bankrupt in the way they live their life and yet we give them millions of dollars we will invite um, academic achievement we will celebrate academic achievement and yet we will turn we will have these massive graduations for university students and high school students we'll have this massive celebration every year and yet, we'll turn our blind eye to what they do right after graduation when they go to senior week at the beach or Mexico and, and get so drunk they don't even remember what they did. And we're like, man, you guys are so smart. You're brilliant. And you're like, but you made such dumb decisions in that week. You see, we divorced their academic and intelligence wisdom from the morale, from the moral and the ethical decisions they make. You see, but biblical wisdom, it doesn't make the separation. It says that if wisdom is practical, if wisdom is intellectual, then it's also got to inform our moral decisions. It's got to be self-disciplined. And this is why Solomon makes this in verse 3. He he connects these three together with wisdom. And he says, if you're going to get wisdom, then it's going to change how you act and how you behave. He says in verse 3, he says, "...for receiving wise instruction..." In righteousness, justice, and integrity, biblical wisdom includes a sense of a moral right and wrong. It includes this sense of of something being fair and just versus something being unfair and unjust. It's this sense of there's moral responsibility in what we say and what we do. See, you don't get to get a degree and start doing and living however you want to. It doesn't work that way. That's not biblical wisdom. That's worldly wisdom. That's academic wisdom. That's not biblical wisdom biblical wisdom says that you can't be skilled in a sport and live your life like you're not a role model to anybody else it doesn't work that way you are responsible for living your life in a godly, righteous way. And so we ought to be teaching that if we're going to live this life, if we're going to live after biblical wisdom, there has to be discipline, there has to be correction. And that's part of receiving wise instruction. You see, we're taught how to live a righteous life. That's the purpose of walking through this book. He wants you to live mind-engaged, he wants you to live hand-engaged, but he also wants you to live a way that you are righteously engaged, that you are learning how to live a moral and just life life and so he teaches you a righteous life and there is justice and correction when we don't follow the moral instructions that are here. All right. We should understand that, that this is the moral code, and when we don't follow this moral code, there is justice and there's correction that happens. Okay? We need to understand that. Biblical wisdom says that when I don't follow what God says, then God has the option to correct me. In fact, we should not only understand that, we should welcome that correction. Because when we welcome that correction, we begin to build integrity within ourselves because we will begin to discipline ourselves so that we become more righteous. You see, there's a moral aspect to biblical wisdom And there has to be, because this last part of biblical wisdom is that there has to be discernment. Biblical wisdom is discerning what is best, okay? And so we see this biblically, uh, this idea has to do with seeing the reality that's not right in front of you, that seeing beyond the first Impression. Solomon says this in verse 4. He writes that this is for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced. Shrewdness is sometimes translated prudence. And in this context, it means that you can see the reason behind something or the ability to discern and think through a complex matter and try to figure out the best solution. And he writes this to those that are inexperienced or those that are gullible. right? People that take things at face value and they never kind of look beyond that. They never... Um, kind of ask questions about what's going on. Why is there reason for that? Okay, So let me kind of give you just a, a simple practical idea of what discernment looks like. If you were to um, walk outside uh, from this church here in just a few minutes, you're to walk outside and some guy meets you in the parking lot and there's this really shiny, red, almost brand new looking car sitting in the parking lot. And he says, hey dude, I want to sell you this car. And I want to sell you this car for like a thousand dollars. It's shiny. It is bright. It is a beautiful looking car. And so you are very tempted to be like, absolutely. I'll take that car for a thousand bucks. You see, but discernment says there's more to this story than some dude showing up in a parking lot with a shiny car for a thousand dollars. There's something not right about this situation. Either there's a problem with the car that he's really trying to get rid of it, or maybe he's trying to get away from the car. Okay, Maybe the car is stolen or, or something like that. And so, Biblical wisdom says that you've got to ask these kind of questions. You've got to move beyond just the shiny exterior. You've got to not judge the book by the cover. You've got to be willing to ask these questions like, Hey, what's going on under the hood of this car that you're selling to me for $1,000? What's going on? What makes this thing run or not run? Okay, And you take that out of the physical into the, kind of the more ethical thing. Someone wants you to join a group that they're part of. Discernment says... What's in it for them? Why do they want me to be part of this group? Is it really what's best for me, or are they just kind of getting a bonus for this? Okay? Are they getting some kind of kickback from me using this person or being part of this group? Is this really what's best? Or what's the agenda of this group? What's the. Um, the foundational principle of this group. What does this group really stand for? You see, those are the questions that discernment asks. That's what getting behind the appearance and seeing the reality behind the appearance is all about. So biblical wisdom, it's looking beyond what is just on the surface. It says, hey, listen, I know that book looks good, but the cover could be deceiving. I know that car has a great paint job, but that paint job could be deceiving. And we've got to be willing to ask and seek these deeper answers to have these complex, hard questions if we're ever going to find the reality behind the appearance. And you see, that's where biblical wisdom differs from everything else because biblical wisdom doesn't just take it at face value. It's not gullible and doesn't just say, hey, I'm just going to take faith because that's all I need. No, see, that's not biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom ask you to engage your mind in your faith. It asks you to engage and investigate the concept of faith. It asks you to take a moral stance and say, hey, yeah, listen, I know they're doing something good, but do they really line up morally with what God's Word says? You see, we don't ask those questions often enough. We just take it at face value that everybody's good and everybody says what they, what's on their mind, and that's not the case. You see, biblical wisdom, it has to be practical. It has to be intellectual. It has to be moral. But it also has to seek these deeper realities. And so now that we, we've kind of worked through what biblical wisdom is and what all it involves, we kind of see this overlapping of all these things that are put together. This is what biblical wisdom is. And so the second question that we have to ask ourselves is, well, who needs that? I mean, let's be honest, that sounds like a lot of work, Michael. I mean, you're talking about physically engaging, you're talking about mentally engaging, you're talking about asking all these deep, hard questions I don't even want to think about. So really, who needs this kind of wisdom? And Solomon writes this book, and he's got two groups really in mind that he's writing this book for. And the first of the two groups is found in verse 3, or excuse me, verse 4. And it says in verse 4, he's writing this book for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced Knowledge and discretion to a young man. That's the first group that can benefit from this book is the young. And I love how he calls them the inexperienced, the gullible. He doesn't call them foolish. He calls them inexperienced. Which means they're young enough that they don't have enough life experiences to make informed decisions. Okay? This is the reason they have someone over them. This is the reason kids don't make their own decisions because they need a parent to guide them through this. Okay? So he doesn't say they're foolish. He doesn't say they're stupid or they're dumb or they're ignorant. He just says they're inexperienced. They don't have enough wisdom at this point. They don't have enough uh, of knowledge or experience to make these choices on their own. So I'm going to give them this practical biblical wisdom so that they can have knowledge, so that they can have discretion, so they can know how to use the biblical wisdom that they got. And so most of us sitting in here this morning, we're all about that one. Yeah, you're right, Michael. Solomon, you are right on. This is that common sense part. Because yes, absolutely. Our kids, our young people, man, they need this wisdom. They need this book. Man, they need all of this. We're quick to throw it on them. But that's not the only group he talks about. You see, he goes on in the very next verse to say this. He addresses the second group who need biblical wisdom. He says, as a wise man... Will listen and increase his learning, and discerning man will obtain guidance. You see, the second group that needs biblical wisdom is the wise and discerning. You see, I find it interesting. He he doesn't contrast young and old. What he contrasts is inexperienced and don't have enough experience with those who are experienced and those who are wise. And I think mainly he knows better than to say that older people are wise because not everybody who's old. Is wise. Okay? It's not the case. All right? There is wisdom that comes with age only if we choose to follow and understand that wisdom. All right? So he doesn't contrast that to what he contrasts is those who don't have experience and those that do have experience. Those that have are trying to figure things out and those that already have things figured out. And so let's be honest, you really fall into one of those two categories. You're either too young to know better and you need to know better or... Most of us think we're wise enough that we've already made these decisions. We've already made this. We've already figured this out. And so what he says is, hey, listen, even if you're wise, you still need wisdom. Even if you're wise, you still need this book. And you're like, well, no, you don't because you're already wise. But he says that you will increase your wisdom. You will increase your understanding. So what he's saying is, listen, that wisdom is not a goal to achieve. You don't get to graduate from biblical wisdom. You don't get a diploma on your wall and says, hey, I'm done. I know all there is to know. I think one of the most ironic things about my office is the degree that I have hanging in my office. It says it is, I have a master's of divinity, which if you think about that means I have mastered the divine. That came from a seminary. That's the worst degree ever, okay? Because what I learned about the divine in seminary is that I am so far beyond and so far away from ever mastering the divine, all right? You see, what I learned in seminary is not that I'm wise because I got a degree. It's I'm wise because I continue seeking after the knowledge that is there. You see, that's where wisdom is. It is not that you obtained it. It is simply that you were smart enough to realize that you don't ever graduate. Wisdom is not a goal that you obtain. It's a pursuit that you spend your whole life on. And so, if we're truly going to have biblical wisdom, we've got to understand it's not just for young. It's for all of us that we need to. this idea that we can stop learning. i got to tell you, as a youth minister in a former position and a pastor now, one of the saddest things I see is families that think kids need wisdom, but parents don't. One of the worst things that I saw is in youth ministry and children's ministry was kids that got dropped off at church and parents went home. Because you know what that tells your kid? This is only kid stuff. And when you get old, you either know it all or it's really not important anymore. You know what that teaches a kid? That just like Sunday morning cartoons are great, But when you get a certain age, you don't watch Sunday morning cartoons anymore because you don't need them. you got other things to do. you got more important stuff to do. You know, that's what you teach your kids when you drop them off at Awana. That's what you teach your kids when you drop them off at Gosporite. When you drop them off or you let them go to church, you teach them that this is just kid stuff. And that once you get to my age, you don't need this anymore. That you have learned it all, that there's nothing else for you to learn, that you have mastered the divine, if you will. And i got to tell you that nothing is further from the truth. If anybody needs wisdom, it's going to be a parent who's trying to parent a kid in a godly way. In a world that is so ungodly. You need wisdom. And I'm going to tell you there is no point in your life that you have mastered everything. There is no point in your life that you can come and you say, I've done it. I've learned all there is. I don't need anything else. I'm done. I know all the Jesus I need to know. I know all the godly wisdom I need to know. I'm just done and I'm going to stop. Now see, what you need to do is realize that you don't know anything. And you need to keep pursuing it. And when you think you're wise, you're not. The wise one is the one who says, I don't know enough, and I'm going to keep pursuing this on and on and on. And so this brings us to our final question. And this last question we're going to deal with is, if we are the ones who need biblical wisdom, and it's going to benefit us so much, then where do we get it from? And how do we start if it's so extremely important? And what we find in the last verse that we read, verse 7, kind of the the capstone on this whole book, is that where you start your pursuit of wisdom is the single most important thing of all. I read a story this week about this world-class runner that lived in New York, and she got invited to this very elite race in Connecticut. And so she decided since this was an elite race and one of these long-distance runs that she was going to do it. She was going to be competing with some of the greatest athletes in the world. And so she was super excited. There was a huge prize on the line and not just like fame and like almost like a Wheaties box. You were going to get your face on a Wheaties box kind of deal. Like this was a huge deal. The cash was going to be involved and all these sponsorships. This was going to be big. If you could compete in this race and if you could win this race, this was going to be huge for her. And so she decided she was going to register for this race. So she did it. She registered for the race, and she, she um, got the instructions of how to get to the starting line. And so she left New York City, and she started driving to Connecticut, but somehow she got turned around in her direction. She, she got messed up on the directions, and she got lost. And She didn't know exactly where she was going. She didn't know how to get to where she was supposed to be going. So she did what ladies do when they lose um, their way they stop and ask somebody okay they're much wiser than guys because guys will just run out of gas at some point okay but she she stops and she stops at this gas station and she says listen I, i'm trying to get to this race that i've signed up for this race and i'm trying to get to the starting line of this race it's in it's in the parking lot of a shopping center is what i know can you help me get there and the guy's like oh sure There's a race starting just right up the road in the shopping center mall, or the mall shopping, or the mall parking lot. I think that's where you need to go. And so he gave her directions, just go out here and take a couple turns, and bam, you're right there. So she does. She goes out, she follows those directions, she gets in that parking lot, and she knows the parking lot's kind of, like, almost empty. Like, this was not what she was expecting. She was expecting this race to be a big deal, and there's going to be tons of people there. And so she was kind of like, this is kind of odd. But she was already running late, so she had to get to the starting line. So she runs up to the registration table, and she's like, Hey, I'm here. I'm here for my race, and I just need my number, and I need to get going. And like the people sitting in the registration, they recognized exactly who she was, and they were so excited that she was there. Man, this is huge. We are so happy to see you. And, and sorry, we don't have your registration stuff, but here. Just put this bib on. Just put this number on, and, and you can make it. If you take off quickly, just put this number on, and you can make it to the starting line if you go right now. So the lady did, man. She's putting on that number and she gets there and she looks around and she's like, there's hardly anybody here. Like, I'm going to win this thing. I'm going to get my face on a weeds box. This is going to be awesome. And so the gun fires, man, and she, she's gone. She takes off. And she is running and running and running. And she is outpacing everybody. She beat the next competitor by four minutes. All right. So she is, I mean, not just the next female. She beat the, the first male running by four minutes. And she runs across the finish line and she's just knowing that she's won everything and this is going to be the greatest thing. And so she, she kind of thinks it's a little odd that there's not like all these cameras and all this stuff going on because this was her big moment. And then she gets to the awards ceremony, and they have these little platforms that you can stand on, and they, they, they call her name, and she gets to step up to number one, and they give her this little medal, and they give her this little envelope. And she's like, oh, this is my million-dollar check right here. This is going to have all the information. And she opens it up, and it's a gift card to the mall that she started in. And she was like, wait, something is not right here. Something is not adding up here. And so she went and she started talking to the, the organizers of the race, the people who had registered her. And she said, no, I, I, was, I, I think there's a mistake. I think something's wrong. I think that, that something is missing in this whole process. And she, they're like, no, this is, this is all there is. This is what you ran for. This is, this is what you were trying to get was this gift certificate and the, the, the medal that you got. And she's like, no, there was supposed to be so much more to this. There was supposed to be like this big celebration. There was supposed to be a Wheaties box. And there was supposed to be all this money and all these sponsors. That's what I was running for. And they're like, ma'am, I don't know who you, think you like, where you think you were running. But this was the high school's fundraiser. And she said, wait, I ran for a high school fundraiser? And they said, yeah, what do you think you were running for? And she said, well, I thought I was running for this really elite competition. And she told them the name of it. And they're like, no, no, ma'am. That's about 10 miles down the road in a different town. You see, you showed up at the wrong starting line and you ran the wrong race. And you didn't win the prize that you thought you did because you ran the wrong race from the wrong starting line. You see, and Solomon very quickly tells us that where we start this race of wisdom is extremely important. Because it doesn't just make a difference in our start... It makes a difference in the course that we run and what we get when we finish the race. He says in verse 7 of Proverbs chapter 1, he says, "...the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge..." Fools despise wisdom and discipline. You see, true wisdom can't come from our human efforts. It can't come from our energy or our uh, ingenuity. It has to start in the right place. It has to start with this fear and this reverence of the one who holds all wisdom. It has to start with the one who created us and holds us in his hand. It has to start with recognizing that he is the source of all knowledge and all wisdom and all understanding. I like how one author put it. He says that what the alphabet is to reading, notes are to reading music, and numbers are to math. The fear of the Lord is wisdom what it is to obtain and reveal wisdom and knowledge throughout this book. It is the very start and the most essential part of everything that you will do from this moment on. You see, if we're going to look for a year of wisdom, then we got to start in the right place. And I love how Dr. Danny Akin puts it in this phrase. He says that Proverbs is all about beginning wisely and seeking wisdom from that moment on. Proverbs is all about becoming wise in everyday life through a relationship with Christ, through the gospel. It is about living the kingdom that God has always meant for humans to live in this moment now. But to do that... Our vertical relationship with God has to be right through Christ Jesus. And once we get the vertical relationship right with God, then our horizontal relationships with everyone else in the world around us will suddenly fall into place. You see, if we're going to seek wisdom this year, we've got to start by seeking Him first. If we're going to seek after wisdom this year, we've got to start by seeking the one who created wisdom in the first place. We've got to start by seeking the one who sought after us. We've got to start by the one who, who shapes us and guides us. And not only that, but we've got to be willing to allow him to do that. We've got to be willing to allow him to give us instructions and heed those instructions. You see, wisdom that you just listen to and don't apply really isn't any good. It means you've got a degree on a wall, but no practical application to it. Wisdom that doesn't change your stance and your moral values doesn't do any good. You see, we've got to be willing not just to get after the wisdom and chase after the wisdom. We've got to be willing to let His wisdom guide us and instruct us and even discipline us when we need it. We've got, we got to be willing to lay ourselves down and lay ourselves aside and totally surrender to Him and say, listen God, we are seeking after wisdom because we fear You and we trust You and we respect You above all else. And so we end with this simple thing that as we work through this book of wisdom, you've got the choice to make. You either choose wisdom through the fear of God, or you choose to despise Him and reject Him. And it tells you very clearly that there are some that will make the choice to despise and reject Him. There are fools that will despise Him because they don't like His version of wisdom, and they don't like His discipline that He brings into their life. And so I want to end this simply with this question. Will you seek after wisdom for Him or will you turn your back to Him and be considered a fool and chase after the wrong prize in the wrong race from the wrong starting point? Let's pray together.